VCY America presents Crosstalk, a nationwide call-in program discussing issues that have an effect on our families, our communities, our churches, our nation, and our world. Crosstalk, an opportunity for you to voice your concerns for biblical principles. And now live by satellite and around the world on the Internet at vcyamerica.org. Here is today's Crosstalk. And we do thank you for joining us today on Crosstalk. Ladies and gentlemen, Christmas is a very special time as we remember the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ who took on human flesh to be the Savior of the world. I mean, that's what we're told in 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Aren't you glad he came? Yet when we think about Christmas season, there are those who insist that believers in Christ should have nothing to do with Christmas or its observance. Well, our guest today, along with uh, some of his fellow workers in the ministry, have put together a book to address this very matter. Joining us, we welcome Frank Figueroa, Jr., who is a speaker and presenter for Reasons for Hope. That's a ministry dedicated to presenting and proclaiming and defending the biblical worldview. He has a science education degree from the University of Hawaii. But he uh, formerly served as pastor in Hawaii, now speaks to numerous youth camps and youth assemblies and private schools and homeschool conferences. He's a contributor to the book, Glad You Asked, Answers to 12 Tough Questions About Christmas That You Need Answers For. Frank, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on today. So, Frank, just first of all, as to your own personal background, you were once a skeptic. Uh, Tell us about that chapter in your life. Yeah, um... When I was young, I was uh, brought up in uh, a, a vague religious background, um, a, attended a church, and um, just noticed that not many people were into actually knowing what the Bible says. People checked the box, they went to church, and did your once-a-week 45-minute thing. And so it kind of turned me off within the process to religion as a whole. Uh, at I, I'd been renounced what I felt was a lame belief in God, and um, went ahead and, and did some things that were very contrary to a lot of, a lot of biblical instruction. And uh, at age 16, a lady named Peggy Migliaro, my friend's mom, uh, shared the gospel with me, and uh, that was the first time I recall reading a Bible for myself. And from that point, it but I mean, bottom line is, Christ came in, saved me, but it got me into wanting to answer the why questions. I, I knew what it is that religion said, but why is it that it said it, and, and, and why do we need to be- believe what we believe, and why do we need to do what we do? And so it got me on a quest, especially when it comes to things scientific, because I was a science major. I've always been into science. And Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, is one of the things that helped solidify to me what the Bible was saying, especially when it came to claims of the resurrection of the person of Christ, and how not only was he the one who died for me, but he's the only person who claimed to be God that rose again from the dead. And from that point, there was no turning back. I got heavily Mm -hmm. invested into Christian apologetics, and here I am today, um, a number of years later. And now you actually have a burden to uh, reach skeptics today. Yes. Uh, uh, I've been fortunate enough to be with Reasons for Hope full-time, starting uh, last summer, so that would be approximately a year and a half so far. Mm-hmm. And in the past year and a half, I've spoken to almost 24,000 people, a majority of them youth, and uh, have been able to share uh, 285 different messages across 27 states, wow. and, and just encourage people to really seek out what the Word of God says and let their foundation be formed by that. In fact, it's pretty interesting in that uh, my wife and I, uh, when we were praying about uh, joining Reasons for Hope full-time, the verse that was impressed upon us is in Acts 18. You see uh, Apollos, he's sharing uh, the, the gospel, and he's, he's trying to share as best as he can, but it says that he only knew of the baptism of John. And so you have a husband and wife named Priscilla and Aquila, who pull him on the side, and it says they explain to him the Word of God or the way of God more accurately. Hmm. And so that's primarily what we feel our job is, my wife and I. I'm the primary teacher, obviously. But um, we go around and we try to share, especially with young people, how they can have reasons to believe why 
or what they believe. Mm-hmm. And we try to explain the whys and just try to explain it in a more accurate way that they may not have thought of before. Well, our focus today, and it's interesting to have that that background, I believe it's important for our listeners to know from whence you came and uh, the burden that's on your heart. And and when we think about the Christmas season, there are those who insist that believers in Christ should have nothing to do with Christmas, should have nothing to do with its observance. Many will indicate that Christmas, after all, is a pagan holiday. Let me ask you, Frank, is it? Uh, Yes and no, meaning there are some things that are used from pagan traditions of the past, but the point of why we celebrate Christmas today is not pagan at all. In other words, um, we we do have certain uh, things that were taken from the Druids or the Celtics or different people of the past um, and have been adopted into what many have as far as modern-day traditions. But the point for which Christians, uh, why we celebrate Christmas is not because of any of those things. It's because of the birth of Jesus Christ. It's because of his coming to be born, uh, ultimately, uh, as a baby, and, and so that he would die for our sins. And so, therefore, although some of the traditions that are rooted in some of the practices within Christendom um, may have had origins that lean towards pagan beginnings, we are um, definitely not practicing those things today. That's not, that's not the why we do what we do. And in fact, Andy Stearns uh, laid it out really nicely in the first chapter in our book when he said, let's take the month of June, which uh, from Bill Clinton's time on was declared as Pride Month. And let's say we take that month of Pride Month and Christians flip it on its head and we turn it into Prayer Month and we spend time on, on a regular basis during the month of June, uh, praying for the lost, seeking um, the Lord in regards to being able to uh, share His truth with people who are pro-pride during this time. And in, in the course of time, June goes from being Pride Month to being known as Prayer Month. A hundred years from now, would any Christian feel like, oh, we shouldn't have done that? We shouldn't have taken something that was secular and made it into something that we can really represent the Lord with. Of course not. We, we would all be in favor of getting closer to God and reaching out to people who are lost and drawing them into fellowship with Jesus through repentance and conformity to what he says in his word. But somehow we're, people are struggling to understand that with Christmas. We've taken what was once secular traditions, we've made it into um, a time that we celebrate, and we have reasons for that, and I'm sure we'll go through some of that Mm -hmm. during the hour. But the idea is that we we do have reason to celebrate. And you wrote the forward on our book, and we're grateful for that, and and you explained it so uh, perfectly, that because all of the people in the Scripture, when it came to the birth announcement of Jesus, celebrated, we have a reason to celebrate. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we should be celebrating Christmas and not ignoring the time in which our Savior has come. Indeed. And, and friends, that's why we do celebrate. We're worshiping the Savior. It's, we're celebrating the birth of the Savior who came to be born, that uh, he might die, that we might live. I mean, that's really in, in, in a nutshell. But as we do find in Scripture, Mary rejoiced, the angels rejoiced, Simeon rejoiced, the shepherds rejoiced. And, and frank, frankly, with all these people rejoicing, I really believe I've got reason to rejoice as well. Absolutely. And, and uh, we, we, we hear expressions of joy uh, during Christmas. In fact, mm-hmm. it's in so many of the Christmas songs that we sing, and it, and it should bring a joy to our mm-hmm. hearts that to, to know that God, when we were stuck in sin and in the darkest point, uh, sent His Son to be the Redeemer of our souls. And, and it, it's interesting, because that's even why we have evergreens as part of the symbolic nature of Christmas, in that um, you have, during the darkest time of the year, a tree that doesn't die, like the rest of the trees, and and, and so therefore it's a reminder uh, of the fact that we have life, and that life is forever in the person of Jesus Christ, whom God sent. 
And so it is a definite reason to rejoice. Indeed. Now, you brought up the Christmas tree, Frank, so let me ask you on that. In the book of Jeremiah, it warns about those who cut down a tree and adorn it. Is having a Christmas tree a violation of the warning like we see in Jeremiah 10? I don't believe so. And the reason that I don't believe so is when you read the history of what they were doing in Jeremiah was they they were cutting down trees and they were carving the wood of that tree, the stump if it were, into an image and then overlaying that image with gold or silver. They were making it into an idol that they were going to worship. And so therefore, when we read about the tree that is, uh, or, or you, you know, the tree that has been cut down and it's adorned with gold or silver. Mm-hmm. It's not talking about a tree with branches and tinsel and lights on it. It's talking about the base of the tree, the root, uh, not not the root, but the stump that they've they've cut down and carved out into an image uh, to form something to wrap the gold or the silver around and make into an idol that they worship. Now, could there be people who worship Christmas? and worship a Christmas tree or the symbols of Christmas? Absolutely. And if they do, that's wrong. And we need to get that in check, because there's only one person that should be worshipped, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, could there be people who take it too far? Yes. But is having a Christmas tree, whether it be in a home or in a church, a, a practice of idol worship, uh, absolutely not in the way that it was mentioned in Jeremiah and other passages in the Old Testament. Yeah, and, and indeed, and and what people do with their Christmas tree at the end of uh, the season is they, they throw it in a fire or put it through a wood chipper or something like that. That's not anything they would do with the idols that they worshipped. Absolutely. And and be, because we know that, that once again, it's, it's tradition and, it, and it's things that are symbolic, but it's not our, our form of worship. Mm-hmm. Our form of worship is to go before the Lord Jesus Christ and to bow to Him and to acknowledge Him and worship Him, and therefore uh, it, it, it's not idolatry to have a tree, once again, unless the tree or what the tree represents has become our God. Mm. Then we really need to check our hearts. And have there been some people in at least I haven't been out of the United States much, but within our country, that have made Christmas the the tradition more than the person of Christ? Yes. And that needs to be addressed, and it needs to be corrected. But the idea is it's not sinful in and of itself to have a Christmas tree within uh, your, your residence or within your place of worship. Frank Figueroa, Jr., our guest here today on Crosstalk. He's a speaker and presenter for Reasons for Hope. Uh, It's a ministry dedicated to presenting, proclaiming, and defending a biblical worldview, working right alongside Carl Kirby and a team of others as he goes out and uh, presents uh, a defense for the faith. And, uh, friends, this uh, they recently released, released a book, Glad You Asked, Answers to 12 tw- uh, Tough Questions About Christmas That You Need Answers For. And we're talking about some of those issues today. One of the issues we'll be getting into after the break is uh, dealing with uh, the date itself, December 25th. Uh, why is it that day is utilized? And how has that come about? And was that really the day that Jesus Christ was born? So that and other questions right after the break. You're listening to Crosstalk coming your way from the VCY American Network. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, scientist with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, did the Ice Age really happen? Yes, indeed, Chris. There's a great deal of evidence that the Ice Age really happened. It wasn't long ago. It was at the end of Noah's flood. It probably took several hundred years for the Earth to settle back down into the equilibrium we now experience. That readjustment period was primarily the Ice Age. The real key for the Ice Age is more evaporation from the ocean waters, making huge storms of snowfall possible. But the continents were cold, making the storms violent and prolonged. Also, late in the flood was a time of great volcanism, meaning that the Earth's atmosphere was cloudy and shielded the Earth from the sun. So there was more snowfall, less snow melt, and the ice built up. This would have happened in the centuries following the flood. And that's the flood mentioned back in Genesis. Thanks, Dr. John. 
For more information, visit us on the web at icr.org. I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in. Answers to tough questions about Christmas. Our topic today, Frank Figueroa Jr. is with us. Uh, He is one of the contributing writers to the book, Glad You Asked, Answers to 12 Tough Questions About Christmas that you need answers for. And uh, we're going to continue on. But, Frank, for those who would like to obtain a copy of the book, how can they do that? The best way to do it is either to go to r4h.com. That's r-f-o-r-h.com. That's our Reasons for Hope website, and we have a, a store that is on there, and they could order it through there. Or if they have the app, and you can download the app for, on all platforms by typing in Reasons for Hope, and a black background with a blue asterisk will come up, and they can download the app, and uh, we also have a way to order through our app as well. Okay. So, uh, friends, again, their website is the letter R, the word for, F-O-R, the letter H, r4h.com. You'll find it there in their store, or if you have their app, and uh, just go to your app store, Reasons for Hope, search for that, and uh, you'll be able to obtain it uh, that way as well. So again, the website, r4h.com. So we're talking about some of the, t- the tough questions regarding Christmas, and one of the questions has to do with, and, and actually you wrote a chapter in here, dealing with the day of uh, December 25th. And uh, let's talk about that date. We look at our calendars. We see December 25. It says Christmas. Is there any biblical uh, support? Is there any historical documentation concerning the actual day that Jesus was born? I believe we do have some, although we can't be precise. And what I mean by that is, um, if you were to guess that December 25th is the date, you have a 1 in 365 chance of being correct. (laughs) But uh, we we, we know that that is probably not the case. Uh, We know that December 25th was chosen uh, in 336 A.D. uh, during the time of Roman Emperor Constantine. Um, He became a believer, uh, as he believed God helped him win a war, and uh, he uh, wrote uh, letters to the Bishop of Rome and some other people, and they decided to take a day from around the time that a lot of pagans were uh, worshiping, uh, having especially during the dark days. This is among the darkest days of the year, uh, as far as sunlight. And so they decided to take one of those days and flip it on its head, and, and have a time that uh, we could recognize Jesus' uh, birth. Uh, so the idea is why the 25th was chosen, it was probably more political than factual at the time, but the idea being that um, it's probably not the, the day. Um, we know that there were shepherds that were living out, uh, that were out in the fields at the time of Jesus, uh, the announcement of his birth, and... What we know about Jerusalem, at least at that time of the year, is it's, it's like us in the U.S., it's pretty cold. And so therefore, what we know historically is that most shepherds brought their sheep in during the winter months. Their sheep are probably out mostly from spring to fall. And so during the winter months, they were in. And so the fact that shepherds are mentioned being out in the fields helps us to see that it was probably not during the month of December that this took place. Uh, not to mention it would make it extremely difficult for Mary and Joseph to be uh, traveling 90 miles or so um, from where they were to Bethlehem, uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And so that probably wasn't the time of year. Um, what we do know, though, is we have some records if we start with the birth of John the Baptist. What I mean by that is in Luke 5, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it mentions something interesting. It says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the division of Abijah. And his wife was one of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, we know that the story is going to go on to recount how an angel of the Lord appears to him and tells him, you and your wife are going to have a child. Um, But I want to focus on the idea of the division of Abijah, because we know that the division of Abijah served only during a particular time, because the priests had a rotation. 
And most historians will put the time of their service somewhere between June 13th and June 19th. So if Zecharias was serving in the temple sometime between June 13th and June 19th, and if he went home shortly thereafter and he and Elizabeth conceived a son, uh, John the Baptist, and if it was that, that happened quickly, and when Elizabeth and Mary get together, when Mary becomes with child six months later, then we know that there's a good possibility that Jesus wasn't born at the end of December, but he could have been placed in Mary incarnate at the end of December. And to further the argument uh, that this was the timeline, uh, many believe that the reason Joseph and Mary had to return to um, their hometown for the census was it was during the Feast of Tabernacles when they were off, often have censuses taken. And so therefore, the argument is that Jesus possibly could have been born at the end of September sometime. Mm. Some people go in and give specific dates. I don't think that's necessarily the wisest thing to do. Mm -hmm. But if Jesus was put into Mary at the end of December, then his birth would be somewhere near the end of um, uh, September. September. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, I, I want to be clear on this, though. We cannot be exact on the timetable that Zacharias served in the temple. These are historians making their best educated decisions. We also have to take into account that according to First Chronicles 24, uh, there was a resetting of the, uh, and, and in Ezra chapter 2, I should say, there was a resetting of the rotations, and um, the priestly divisions were created by David, but not put into effect until his son Solomon was reigning. And so you, you have these things that have to be taken into account, but it sure makes it plausible that he was born somewhere at the end of September, placed into Mary somewhere in at the end of December. And so to me, it gives even greater reason to celebrate the birth of Christ, because we know that life begins at the point at which uh, a person is conceived within their mother's womb, and obviously Jesus was not conceived in normal fashion. But to me, it brings out the whole point that from the very point he was placed in Mary, that there is a reason to celebrate, that this Savior who is coming uh, was there, and, and he's going to be born, and he's ultimately uh, going to, like you said earlier, live a life that we should have lived and died a death that we should have died, but redeem us from our sins. And, and uh, so I would argue that it's very plausible that we have some time references. And although it's not the 25th for his actual physical birth, it's the 25th for the point at which he's incarnate in Mary. Very interesting. Thank you for for that analysis. And, and again, we don't know the exact day of his birth, but that, we don't worship a day, do we? Uh, we Absolutely. We worship the Savior. And, Absolutely, and and there's a good reason that we, as as long as to me, it's it's important that we set aside a time to, mm-hmm. to re- remember that and and to worship. Um, you mentioned the the uh, the virgin birth. How critical is it for one to accept the virgin birth of Jesus Christ? I, I believe it's it's uh, catamount to our faith that that if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus was virgin born, then sin tainted the Son of God. Uh, it, it has to be that he was born of God and Mary was a virgin because that's the only way that Jesus could be the propitiation of our sins, uh, being, uh, as uh, Philippians chapter 2 lays out, the kenosis. He was 100% God and 100% man, and in order for him to be both, he had to be sinless, and that had to come not by means of natural birth, because we know that ultimately, uh, since Adam, all people have been born with a sin nature, and therefore um, Jesus would have been born with a sin nature if his father was a human being. Mm-hmm. And so, 
so yeah, it, it, and plus it goes along with the genealogies, and there's a lot of history there to study in how, in order for him to be uh, from the line of David and, and both uh, Joseph's line and Mary's line to come together in that perfect way, and yet Joseph was not considered a father, which brings it to fuller fruition than if he were. And so not only is it important spiritually, but physically as well for him to be both um, the king as well as uh, in the priestly line. Frank Figueroa, our guest here today on Crosstalk, and uh, responding to uh, the answers that are provided in the book, Answers to Tough Questions About Christmas. Um, you mentioned, uh, Frank, that uh, Mary and Joseph traveled how far to get to Bethlehem? Uh, many people believe somewhere between 75 to 90 miles Okay, uh, to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And uh, when they did arrive in Bethlehem, we are, you know, I've seen so many different Christmas plays and stories that we're led to believe they got there just in the nick of time for that baby to be born, the baby Jesus. What can you tell us about that? Um, we, we don't know for sure, but I don't believe that is the case. In other words, what the Scripture says that the days for her uh, pregnancy had come to completion. Now, it would make almost more sense that she arrived a little bit early, um, meaning that if you're traveling up to the point at which you're giving birth, and that's the way most of the movies and shows depict it, uh, is that you know she steps in, there's no room for you in the inn, she goes into a cave, and boom, Jesus comes out. Um, it, it, that would have been extremely uh, difficult, uh, to say the least, mm-hmm. but... Uh, what we believe is that uh, she may have even arrived uh, a little bit early, uh, to and and then uh, as she arrived um, early, uh, that uh, her her days were completed at that time. It's Luke two six. It says that while they were there, their days were completed for her to be delivered, which means that she hit her due date. But it could have been sometime after that, and because it mentions. The days were completed uh, for her to be delivered. It just meant that her pregnancy had come to fruition by the point she was there. Um, So we don't know how long it took after that for Jesus to be born, but we know that it was probably not too far after, but not necessarily... Uh, within minutes of her arrival. Right, and, and and we're just a minute before the break here, but we've also seen many a Christmas play that have an innkeeper, but the Bible doesn't mention an innkeeper, does it? No, it just mentions that there was no room for them in the inn, and even the idea of inn, Cataluma in the Greek, which means that there was no room for them in the house that the relatives probably stayed in, because we know that most people stayed with their relatives when they went home for the census. And so, therefore, we don't know exactly where they ended up. Whether it, what we all we know is that Jesus was placed in a manger. We don't know the exact setting that that manger was in, and so we don't know necessarily about animals being around and a lot of things. But we do know that he was placed in a manger uh, as he was born, and that he was not in the house proper because it was just too packed uh, during that particular time. Frank Figueroa, our guest here today, and uh, friends, we will be opening lines in a short while here for Crosstalk, but I want to talk also about the star with our guest. A lot of speculation about that star that appeared. Uh, what was it? And uh, and we'll delve into that issue, and we'll hear from you as well a little bit later in the program. This is Crosstalk on VCY America, answers to tough questions about Christmas. Back in one minute here on the VCY American Network. The Bible says that life is but a vapor that's here for a short time and then vanishes away. Scripture also says, It's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Have you ever wondered what happens when you die? In the book, What Happens After Life, author Ron Rose provides a survey of the Bible's teachings about the afterlife. He tracks the destiny for those who know Christ as Savior and the destiny for unbelievers. He addresses numerous topics, such as the immediate state after death, believers and the judgment seat of Christ, unbelievers and the great white throne judgment, the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and so much more. He even tackles the question of what happens to infants, young children, and those mentally disabled as it relates to eternity. What happens after life 
is available for a donation of $15 or more by calling VCY at 1-800-729-9829. You're listening to Crosstalk on VCY America. Frank Figueroa is with us here today. He's a speaker and presenter for Reasons for Hope, their website, the letter R, the word for, F-O-R, the letter H, R4H.com. And uh, also they have an app called Reasons for Hope. You can find it in your app store. A lot of information that they have available uh, coming through these. Uh, you'll find uh, brief uh, video clips and uh, lots of uh, helpful information here to be able to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that lies within you with meekness and fear. We're talking specifically today about Christmas and some of the tough questions that have come in regard to Christmas. And, and uh, Frank, even on that note, uh, as uh, you and I have discussed, the, the whole concept of, of what the nativity scene is that we commonly see in our society today— uh, does not necessarily depict that which is really, you know, coming from, from the biblical narrative. Correct. Uh, in fact, it was one of the catalysts behind us writing this book. As I was pastoring here in Hawaii, a young man who lived next to us, uh, we would set up the church nativity scene every year, and uh, he came up, and he was from Micronesia, and he asked me, um, what is that? And I said, well, it's a nativity. And he said, well, what is a nativity? And as I started to explain it to him, I had to kind of unexplain a lot of things. The fact that nativities have the wise men there, yet we know according to Scripture that the wise men didn't appear to Jesus when he was in the manger, Mm -hmm. that they appeared to him when he was a young child within a house. Uh, We we see, uh, you you know, um, that there were only three wise men. Were there three? Uh, We don't know. There could have been. There could have been more. The reason that we have the three is because of the gifts that were offered. And so there's so many things that are taken for granted. Uh, were, were there animals around? We don't know. We're, we're not told there were. But yet, somehow, because he was laid in a manger, people seem to imply that. And so uh, there's a lot of things that needed to be explained. And so we, we started looking through some of the questions that we got from teens and other people regarding Christmas. And ran with it, and that's why we got the Glad You Asked uh, Answers to 12 Tough Questions About Christmas book. Wow. And again, friends, you'll find it at r4h.com. Let's uh, talk about the star for a moment, the star of Bethlehem. Uh, There's been a lot of speculation about this star. Uh, Some will say, hey, this was just an alignment of the planets. Others say, no, this is some kind of supernova. You've done some research into this, Frank. Tell us what you learned. Um, one of the big things, especially in uh, 2020, uh, there was in another aligning of the planets, if it were, on December 21st, and many, many people were calling it the Christmas star. And, and it was all over the Internet, and everybody was pushing towards something amazing going to happen um, in uh, 2020, December 21st. Um, we know that, obviously, nothing really panned out to fruition, uh, according to the, the predictions of a lot of these people. And that's because what happened that Christmas was not an aligning of the planets in a way that formed a star, but it wasn't something that was natural or or just part of a natural phenomena occurrence. It was something that was specifically a miracle. Uh, What we mean by that is that um, these uh, wise men, these people uh, who saw the star, they were the only ones who have seen the star. In fact, uh, it, it said that it, it led them from where they were in the east to where they were in the, uh, where Jesus was in the west, you know, towards Jerusalem. And ultimately, the star not only led them at certain points, uh, it, it, in fact, it, it says in Matthew 2, 9, uh, that the star which they had seen in the east now went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. That's interesting because stars don't travel like that. We know that. Uh, you know, according our, our astronomy studies, uh, stars don't move. We move. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, uh, this star not only traveled and led them, but it also appeared, disappeared, and reappeared. 
And that's why when they seen it the second time, they said, behold, there's the star. Because when they had come to, uh, when they were coming and, and they encountered Herod in Matthew chapter 2 early on, if the star was still there, Herod would have seen where he needed to go. But he didn't see it. So not, the star was at least hidden from Herod, as well as everybody else except for the three wise men. Or, or you know, the, the wise men that were there. <laughs> yeah. We don't know if there were three specifically. But the idea being that uh, this star did things that no other star we have on record has done. And it, it led them to where it is they needed to encounter Jesus. Friends, uh, we're going to open our lines here at Crosstalk. If you have a question you'd like to ask of our guest today, Frank Figueroa, our phone number to Crosstalk is 800-733-9829. That's 1-800-733-9829. The book that they've put together, again, is called Glad You Asked, Answers to 12 Tough Questions About Christmas You Need Answers For. Uh, Not a very lengthy book, uh, just uh, over 135 pages but uh, covers a number of different issues uh, in the book itself that uh, many will find helpful and uh, uh, far more in-depth and detailed than what we're able to go through through the course of the interview here as well. But uh, we'll take your calls here today on Crosstalk, give you an opportunity. Uh, perhaps uh, you need further clarification on, on something that Frank has said or have another question that you'd like to ask here as well. Uh, the number here, 800-733-9829. Before we pick up our, our first call, though, let me just ask you, why does all this matter, Frank? I think it's important to be able to explain to people why we believe what we believe. In other words... If if the average person was like me, I believed in some things that I've heard stories of that ended up not being true. Things like the Easter Bunny or the Tooth Fairy. Mm-hmm. And what we do if we're not able to explain things in a biblical and rational way is that we help the uh, narrative that this is just a story that this is not based in reality, that it's just a religious, uh, something that's made up. And so the fact that we can explain it logically and um, uh, scientifically, as well as uh, accurately and biblically, uh, gives reason why we believe what we believe, and it helps people to see that this is not just some fairy tale made up of blind faith. This is something that actually occurred. This is historical it is something that is um, uh, provable, and and therefore it, it, it helps substantiate everything else that God has said within His Word, and and we could take His Word for what it says. Amen. We can. Let's uh, begin. Our calls, our lines are packed right now. We're going to begin in Oakfield, Wisconsin. We have Lee online. Hi, Lee. You're on the air. All right. I want to make uh, like five real quick. Quick points here, because I want you to comment. I just want to uh, throw them out there, and then I'll take my answer off the air. Um, so if you look at what that Feast uh, um, of Tabernacles, uh, maybe that is his birth, but you go back to uh, the Hanukkah here, is maybe that was his uh, inception. Um, back in that day, because it's a Hebrew calendar, not a Gregorian calendar, and if you look at in Hebrew, there's no J's or W's, but if you look at his V and as Y and V, Yahovah, uh, you got uh, the consonants, law, grace, nail grace, or yod Vahe. And why are they doing this on uh, uh, Saturnalia during this time of year, unless they're trying to uh, be missionaries uh, against Saturnalia? Okay. Uh, so, okay, yeah, I know, Lee, I know you said you had five, that's one, but you know what, we're not going to have, for sake of uh, uh, courtesy for the other callers, we're going to deal with just that one, because others want to ask questions too, and that'll take us the full program. So uh, any response to what he's saying here in, in, in uh, Feast of Tabernacles and so forth? But he also brought up Saturnalia. Is this something that, that uh, and I know your book addresses that as well. Yes, and so uh, what he said about Saturnalia is absolutely correct, that it is one of the a feast that were, uh, I should say feast, but one of the things that were observed during that time of year. And so, um, yes, that is one of the reasons that it was uh, taken. The Romans celebrated that. It was named after the god Saturn, 
and was supposedly the god of crops and agriculture. And so therefore, um, th- there were gifts that were exchanged during Saturnalia, sometimes um, uh, clay, sometimes marble, silver, evergreen branches were used, and so forth. So like I said, there are certain aspects of things that were brought into it. But the reason that we do those things today is not the same reason that people did it for the worship during uh, Saturnalia. Mm-hmm. And as far as, um, I forgot the first part of the question. Well, he was dealing with, uh, I guess, some of the dates there, like... Uh, yeah, and, and, oh yes. And so, so the idea is, that's why we, we said, I, I believe a couple times, that we cannot be emphatic on the date. Mm-hmm. We, have some, we have some good thoughts and some good explanations by people who are trying to understand the Word of God as best they can, but um, we cannot be emphatic on any one date. And so to reiterate, was September, uh, sorry, uh, December 25th the day that Jesus was put into Mary? Probably not, exactly. And probably not the day he was born, although we have good reason mm-hmm. to believe that there is significance to the time around that. Right, and we went into great detail on explaining that. Thank you, Lee, and thanks for understanding that we can't take all the questions as as much as you'd like there. Joseph in Phoenix, Arizona, you're on the air. Hi, um, I know I have to make this quick. Um, I I have a question. um, I know they were trying to evangelize the, the pagans by taking the birthday of Mithras and applying it to the Messiah, and they took, you know... Saturnalia and applied it to. They gave it a new, a new biblical reason. Now, now suppose like with the Muslims, we were to do Ramadan, only change the meaning that we're we're observing Messiah fasting for forty days in the desert, and then a new Muslim convert to Messiah could, could they could fast in in the day and eat at night like the other Muslims around them and fit in better with them. And uh, and take some of the things the Muslim and give it a new name. Find thing, find things in in scripture, and show that you know it's about Messiah fasting, mm-hmm. and and change the meanings of the Muslim meanings and give them scriptural reasons, and and that might help to evangelize them. What do you think of that? I'll okay. hang up now. Thank you, Joseph. Frank. Um. Once again, uh, once again, like we mentioned, um, if we worship God the way he declares us to be, uh, that he asks us to worship him within the scriptures, then I don't see that as necessarily problematic. If we are compromising and we are worshiping either another god or worshiping in a way that is representative of foreign worship, then we have a problem. Mm -hmm. And so even within Christmas, we have to be careful uh, of how we do what we do. Uh, my wife and I, for instance, we don't exchange gifts at Christmas time with each other. I'm not saying that we don't exchange gifts with other people, but with each other within our house, we know that ultimately we rep- we celebrate the gift that was given to us in the person of Jesus. Um, so we have made clear demarcations within our family in the things we will do and the things we won't do. Uh, but uh, we do that in order to make sure that we maintain a proper worship and perspective when it comes to Christmas. And everybody who celebrates Christmas should be willing to do the same as the Lord would direct them and their convictions, uh, making sure that it's consistent with the Scripture. Frank Figueroa, our guest here today on Cross. And uh, we've got uh, more individuals lined up with their questions, which we'll take after the break, as much as we can fit in during the course of the program today. Uh, He'll be discussing his book, Glad You Asked, Answers to 12 12, uh, Tough Questions About Christmas That You Need Answers For, edited by Carl Kirby and Juan Valdez, back in a minute. For the Worldview Report, I'm Brandon House. Our website is worldviewreport.com. Matthew 25, Jesus is separating the sheep from the goats. Now don't confuse Matthew 25 with Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment. That's where he judges the dead. This is Matthew 25, where he's judging the Gentile nations that have come out of the tribulation. He's separating the sheep from the goats. And he commends those sheep who ministered to his brethren. I was in prison and you visited me. I was sick, right? And you cared for me. I was thirsty. You gave me water. Remember that? Well, that passage is used to promote social justice. It's not about social justice. He said, you'd ministered to my brethren. In the Greek strong, we find out that the brethren is the Jews. 
You know how hard it is today to stand up for the Jewish people since October 7th with the rise of anti-Semitism? We've not seen anything compared to what's going to happen during the tribulation. Jesus isn't saying you're saved because you help the Jews. You help the Jews because you're saved. By the phone response today, we could use a, a couple programs dealing with this issue here today, but we're glad you're listening, glad you called, and uh, we're going to continue with them. John is calling from New Mexico. John, you're on the air. Hello, John. Hi. You're on the Hi, air. Hi, hello. Uh, being as that the uh, origin, the starting point of uh, what we celebrate as Christmas, that date is set in December 25th, started with Emperor Constantine, would it be safe to say uh, that perhaps it is... Uh, that the, the, the origin of what we celebrate as Christmas started in Roman Catholicism, started as a Catholic holiday. Would it be safe to say that, sir? I'll Thank you, sir. Okay. God bless. Thank you, John. Yes, I, I, I think that would be a fair statement, that ultimately it, it, it started with its roots in uh, Catholicism, uh, and, and the Church, by and large, uh, adopted that day uh, from... Uh, that origin, and um, so therefore, was it something that was... Uh, and you're referring to Con- uh, Constantine declaring that date. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I, 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 uh, the psychology was, ultimately, that it was easier to take away an unholy but traditional festival from the population and then replace it with a good one. Um, and so, in the same way that the, the Christian Church, uh, as far as uh, evangelicals and such, they took it from what is uh, necessarily uh, or, or, you know, believed to be more of a Roman Catholic um, tr- traditional holiday. And, and But once again, we go back to why it is we do what we do yeah. and the reason that we believe it. And if we are doing it with the Lord in mind and in, in a way that doesn't contradict His Word, it doesn't seem problematic that we would celebrate His birth in this way. Let's go next to Alan, holding the longest. Alan, you're on the air. Yes, uh, regarding idolatry that you touched on, uh, what do you see in uh, non-denominational, many non-denominational uh, memorial parks or cemeteries are well-crafted stone statues of Jesus and the apostles? From a biblical perspective, as you see it, might those statues be uh, constituting idolatry? Uh, that's a very good question, and thank you for the, the question. Um, absolutely, if they are worshipped. And so once again, it goes back to an idol is something that takes away our worship or our focus from God and puts it onto itself or onto a false deity. And so therefore, could there be uh, a, a car? And, and I, you know, Bible says, have no engraven image. Uh, uh, of the Lord, and so therefore, um, I believe it, it, it has proper root, not having graven images of such things, but if that statue or that carving is just to reflect upon a person, let, let's take our capitals rotunda. They have carvings of people from all 50 states uh, within the capital, uh, I, I think it's called a History Walk, or whatever the name of it is, um, and they have, they have statues from everybody. I know from Hawaii, it's Father Damien, uh, who was a Belgian priest. But the idea being, unless I worship that statue, then I don't think there's anything wrong with having a statue to remember someone. Mm-hmm. But if it turns into worship, that's a whole different story. Yeah. And yes, uh, that can absolutely be idolatry. Uh, so we need to make sure that we worship only the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if I'm going to take this statue, I'm going to bury it in my yard so it's going to cause my house to sell. Or if I have this little this uh, little statue, I'm going to put in my pocket because it's going to give me good luck. It's going to be my guardian angel. Uh, that that becomes a different story. Correct. Hmm. And so therefore, therefore I, I see nothing wrong with having um, uh, certain carvings of things that are reminders. Um, but once again, once it draws us to a false sense of worship, um, then uh, we, we are involved in idolatry, and we need to repent and, and you know, seek Jesus' forgiveness. Lee is our next caller. Uh, Lee in Hartford, you're on the air. And thank you for taking my call. 
Hey, I've heard a lot about the star over the years, that you guys covered it a little bit, and yet anything I've ever heard never really seemed to be an adequate um, or convincing argument for what that star was. Mm. And But you know what? I heard something once, and I, I would never be dogmatic about this, but somebody said to me once that, you know, just if you remember, I think it's in Ezekiel. I haven't word it, uh, read it for a while. But I think it's in Ezekiel where the glory of the Lord um, leaves the temple. And I believe they could actually see the glory of the Lord leaving the earth. And they wondered if perhaps that was the glory of the Lord um, coming back to the earth. And I'll tell you, when I consider that, I just get overwhelmed with just the thought of that. Mm-hmm. But anyways... Um, that's just what somebody said to me once. They didn't say this is what happened, but they right. said this could have been what it was. I'll well, listen off the air. Great. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for the call. He's referring to the Shekinah glory of God. And actually, I will throw in, so I want to be clear on this. This is not necessarily exactly what the Bible teaches, meaning I don't have a whole lot of scriptural reference for it, but it does use very similar language. Uh, what I mean is it mentions that the star went before them. Um, and it's pretty interesting because that's the same new, uh, words uh, that are used when it talks about the Shekinah glory of the Lord. In fact, in Numbers chapter 24, when it talks about the prophecy of Balaam uh, and Balaam's star, it says that I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. And that star is actually capitalized in the text. And so, therefore, they believe that's talking about the coming of the Messiah. And what did the, the Shekinah of the Lord do? Well, it led people by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud to where they needed to go. And it did the same for the wise men. And so could it be that this was a form of the Shekinah glory of the Lord that actually uh, went before people? Um very well could be. Uh, Matthew uh, 2 9 uh, says once again the same wording um, that when they had seen the star in the east, it went before them. When you compare that to Exodus 13 21, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and led the way, and by night in a pillar of fire, we see that they did the same thing and it led people the way the Lord wanted to lead them. So there, there absolutely could be a connection there. Friends, uh, wow, we're going to have to leave our conversation there today. You'll find more information in the book, Glad You Asked, Answers to tough 12, uh, 12 Tough Questions About Christmas That You Need Answers For. And uh, r4h.com is the website. Or get, download the Reasons for Hope app. That's available there. Frank Figueroa, our guest. Frank, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, and Melikalikimaka to all of you. You've been listening to Crosstalk via satellite and the Internet from BCY America. Views expressed may or may not be those of this station. For a CD of today's program, send a donation of $6 or more to VCY Tape Ministry, 3434 West Kilbourne Avenue, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53208. Or download by RSS or podcast from crosstalkamerica.com. And join us again for Crosstalk. Crosstalk.